<laughs> well, I so appreciate that because when you're recording remotely, you just never know what you're going to get. You know, maybe it's the most expensive, amazing sound equipment ever, and maybe it's their internal mic. You just, uh, you don't know. I ran a podcast for a while that was a video game design show. And so people who would work on games would come in and it would range from people who were like audio people who would be calling in from a sound booth isolated with like padding on all the surfaces and they would have multiple mics trained on them so they could pick the one that sounded the best. And they wanted to like, you know, work on the audio files before they sent them to me <laughs> all the way through to one guy who worked on a game that was like very jokingly bad and he recorded from his his Windows laptop, and I'm pretty sure the laptop was closed and the microphone was in the laptop and you like hear the fans and like I was like are you sure you're recording from another microphone because it sounds pretty bad on Skype he's like no 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 it's fine <laughs> you're listening to the Omni show get to know the people and stories behind the Omni groups award-winning productivity apps for Mac and iOS my name's Andrew J Mason and today we talk to Alan Pike on how he utilizes OmniFocus. Welcome everybody back to the Omni Show. I am so excited because today we have Alan Pike from Steam Clock Software uh, talking to us about how he utilizes OmniFocus to get things done. Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, good to be here, Andrew. Absolutely. So, Alan, you run Steam Clock Software, and this company has been around for a while. Can you give us some history of how things got started for you? Yeah, Steam Clock had our 10-year anniversary this year, which in the scheme of software companies is pretty long, especially app development companies. But then we're talking about Omni, which is like one of the few companies that puts us to shame in terms of how long Omni's been writing software and selling software. So I guess we're in good company in the uh, decade plus group. But we started 10 years ago, as a lot of software companies do, is just you know me and my co-founder working out of his basement, uh, trying to make software that people love. And it's sort of built up just to you know, one hire at a time. You know, you know, that was 10 years ago, the two of us, and now we've worked our way up to 12 people and just kind of slow and steady wins the race, I guess, is the name of our game, so to speak. And so Steam Clock creates beautiful apps. Do you have any examples that people might recognize? Yeah. One thing that we launched in the last six months, which was a fun side project for us, was a game which we'd never published before. And so we made this game called Two Spies, which was sort of, I guess, a passion project that ended up getting more attention than we expected. Got featured by Apple quite a bit of one of their game of the day features in the App Store and various other things. And so we've had like quite a lot of players playing now. And there's features that early on we expected that nobody would be playing online. There wouldn't be enough people playing the game to have other opponents where it's just like, oh yeah, play again someone but like what if no one else is playing and then we have like thousands of downloads a day we're like well i'm pretty sure you could find an opponent now so we're like adding features that we didn't expect to do into this kind of side project so so that's one thing that people might have seen and we have clients that range a lot of our clients are te other tech companies and so over the years we've worked for a variety of kind of like larger companies as well as startups pretty commonly a lot of our even though we're in canada a lot of work we do is like baria and new york uh, startups that are kind of gone out of their stage of, is this product going to work? And then they are going into the stage of, oh, okay, well, we have this, especially often web-oriented project that people love and they're like, but we really want a good app. Or maybe they have like a sort of janky 1.0 app and they're like, okay, it's time to do a really good app. And so we'll often come in and, and ship a high quality version two for our clients. So that's kind of our client side of the business. And then we use the profits from that to build our own stuff that we like to work on and 
might turn into a, a product side of the business. What a cool path. I mean, what a cool kind of life path that you've taken. Uh, do you have any insight as to how you got started doing this? I mean, do you just wake up one day and say, hey, we're going to build great apps. You know, where, where does that passion start for you? I've always been product oriented. I didn't really fully realize how much that was true until I was going through some old stuff from when I was a kid. And I had this giant binder of paper that my dad had given us, just like these big stacks of bound paper that we could draw on or play with. And there'd be pages and pages and pages of like ideas for products that I was like seven years old. And it's like, here's what the water, the super soakers that we should make, except I called them like water blasters or whatever. And it's like, oh, here's the 10 different super soakers I would make. And like, here's 10 video games I would make. And like, oh, here's all the cars I would design. And like, I think like every kid sort of plays around with that, but I had just like pages and pages and pages. And I didn't think of it at the time as like product design. I thought it was just like, yeah, that's what kids do. They draw 45 different cars from three different manufacturers that would then be competing in this artificial world that is <laughs> in all my, that's just like the weird kid that I was. And so as I got older and got into computers, a really like natural thing that I gravitated to was making stuff on them. So that ranges a variety of things. And obviously software is a pretty good living. So that that's kind of where the economic side of it is focused. You brought out a memory for me. I haven't thought of this in literally a decade. Uh, when I was in third grade, used to draw out levels to Super Mario Brothers 3 using a graphite pencil and notebook paper uh, during subjects I guess I wasn't paying attention in. But uh, just so funny before we or Super Mario Maker or anything like that. That's hilarious. And it's normal, I, you know, to parents out there, it's normal for your kids to do this kind of stuff because they're gaining skills. We don't think of it as product design, but it's just such a cool concept to know that something like that for you has transferred into such a practical use these days. Yeah, everything is practice and it can start early. I'm a big believer in the transferability of skills. So the work I did as a teenager making a bad card game that never went anywhere and then trying to pitch it to people and people weren't interested. And then I was like, what am I learning? I'm learning sales and I'm learning product. And like, it was like, uh, you know, one of 10 abject failures of things I tried to make in, in high school. But each time I learned things by failing. That's awesome. So excellent backstory there. Uh, let's fast forward to you've got these skills now in your life and you come across Omni. When did that happen for you? Yeah, I'm pretty sure the first exposure I had to Omni was when I was working in my first software job. Maybe I was just out of high school or just the beginning of university. So many years back now, but my boss there introduced me to OmniGraffle and it was a very Mac oriented company. And I was trying to plan something, design some system of some kind for a project we were working on. And he was like, oh, you need OmniGraffle and got us a license. And it was like, okay, this is what you need to do. And it, I really enjoyed uh, using it. And so that was my inbound to kind of being aware of Omni. And then as I started to more focus in on the career path of being independent, uh, independent software developer and like wanting to start my own company, I started becoming a lot more interested in well, what other companies are doing that? What other companies have built a durable business around selling software on the Mac and sort of high quality user focused software? And so then started seeing more and more about Omni, just talking and meeting people in that space, and then got really into Omni Focus over the last five years as it, I sort of outgrew my previous, you know, more primitive to do management system. So then that's been my kind of biggest contact point with Omni in the last five years or so has been being an Omni Focus user and letting it run my life. <laughs> well, yeah, let's actually dive into that. What does the structure of your Omni Focus system kind of look like? What is, are there any kind of like go-to first thing, day-to-day -day sort of things that you do? 
there's kind of two big things that fundamentally, you know, I use OmniFocus, obviously other people use different tools and to-do systems and task management systems to achieve this. But the two core things to me are A, working on stuff that's important instead of only working on stuff that's urgent, which is a common like productivity, getting things done thing, but like actually moving that forward. I'm spending a higher percentage of my time on what I've decided is important longer term stuff rather than just it popped up right now. And the other half is, which is kind of like an offshoot of that, but especially in the last six months, it's been a bigger thing for me that I'm focusing on is less stress, like less anxiety around, am I forgetting something? Is there something that I'm supposed to have done and I haven't done? And also, is there something that I'm procrastinating and that's bothering me at a, and like wearing on me? And so overall, those are like the two kind of like pillars for me, at least is like, why is it worth going to the effort of setting up and managing a system for deciding what work I do are, are those two key things. One of the most interesting things about people setting up systems for work is to see what happens uh, as those systems get disrupted. Do you mind sharing a little bit of what the last few months have looked like for you guys? You know, moving, you know, the changes over the last six months, uh, you know, our team was a very in-person type work environment, not really because the type of work that we do in doing software development. So it totally can be remote, but we happened to have two founders that just really enjoyed in-person, fairly extroverted people that like having an office that's separate from, you know, we love our kids, but you know, it's nice to have like a space. It's like, okay, work is work. And then you come home and home is home. And so two people who liked that and then invest in having a nice office and then hire other people who also have that mentality. And so it's been a bit of a cultural shift moving to us. Remote work changed for us, but it hasn't changed the way we're doing our work that much in terms of how we're managing tasks and stuff. And so the biggest change for me on how I'm using OmniFocus and using my kind of productivity focus tools is that piece of making sure that I am not letting things like worry or, I mean, everyone's going to be worried in some degree, but using it as a tool to decrease stress, which is like something that is not the number one most obvious thing when it's like, oh, why do I use a uh, task system? Some people's task systems cause them stress. And depending on how you set it up, it's very easy for it to do that. But also using it strategically as like, a, I keep thinking about this thing, or I keep wishing I had already done this thing. And then using setting up the system and using it in a way that makes that stop being on my to-do list, whether because I did it or I decide I'm not going to do it. And, and that's so that's been kind of a tool I've been using more often. I am familiar with the idea of uh, urgent versus important. Do you have a way to kind of slice or manage the data so that you really get to, to hone in and zoom in on those pieces that really are important? You know, how do you kind of cut through the stuff that, you know, I, I shouldn't do this, but I really want to focus in here? Or maybe your advice to new users about how do you do that? Yeah, the due date is one of the ways that a lot of people who are new to either OmniFocus or other task management systems will quickly start to get themselves into a variety of problems around due dates where what the default way that you will tend to, or at least the way I default tended to, is I would create a task and then I would select the due date as when I would like, I like the idea of having been done. <laughs> I like, like, this is a thing that I think I should do. I like the idea of being done in two weeks and then two weeks come by and then it's one of the many, many things that have now say claimed that they are overdue. But out of all those things, only like three of them are really overdue. And actually maybe none of those things are the things that are really the most important things. And so 
obviously on an hour to hour basis, you need some system that some perspective. I used to use custom perspectives, like a common thing people would use is the do and flagged. Like you take all of the things that are do soon and then all the things you put a flag on and then you make a custom perspective of that and work out of that for what you're working on like hour to hour. Um, I did that for a long time. That works fine depending on how disciplined you are about your flagging and your due dates. And I've been more recently working out of the today view in OmniFocus, which I have a tag where I say, this is the stuff that I would like to work on today or yesterday I thought would be, should be done today. Um, and use that to try and keep like a working list of like five to 10 things that I'm only looking at at any given time. And then I have customer perspectives that I use to feed that, which I could talk a little bit more later. But on the question of how do you slice through and try to get it focusing in, I mean, focuses right in the name of the product, OmniFocus, right? How do you focus in on what's important and not just urgent? Um, it, due dates almost like are the opposite of that. Like due dates are for the urgent things and make sure that something that really is urgent that you really need to renew your driver's license, otherwise you're like breaking the law to drive anywhere. Then like, yeah, make sure those things have due dates and that they do get done. Maybe actually they belong in your calendar. But in the context of what's important, the thing I find helpful is having zoomed out uh, periodic, I do quarterly or I call it seasonal because quarterly is a little too businessy for me, even though I like run a business. Um, but like a seasonal like check-in both for my personal, I do the personal ones and the business goal, personal goals and business goals uh, at separate times. Uh, but I sit down and I don't even necessarily need, need to spend that long about it, but like what are the three things that are most important for the next three months that are like, I will feel like I've really moved forward in a meaningful way in terms of getting towards a longer term goal or improving my quality of life or, you know, finishing something that's important to me. What are the, the, the small list of things? Um, for a personal, I only pick three. For work, I pick more than that. Um, and then in nominee focus, I use tags to say that these are the actually important things. These are the personal goals. These are the work goals. Um, and then those behave differently in my different perspectives. And I try to make sure that those are getting populated out and not just the all sorts of good ideas or interesting things or like, yeah, I probably should do that. And now those just fill your your inbox and your, your, your uh, today view without any like evaluation as to like how important are these things. Well, I do want to share with the audience that there's a fantastic article that you've written for Inside OmniFocus. Uh, it's been a few years now, but it was uh, coinciding with the release, I believe, of OmniFocus 3. Does most of what people will find inside of that article ring true still? Yeah, that, I read that article a couple years ago when OmniFocus 3 was first coming out. And so some of the article talks about the transition, which is not as relevant now that everyone's probably all upgraded. Um, but most of it all still is like, I, I tried to structure that article not as a, um, here is the one perfect system that I think everybody should use because everyone's needs are so different, especially depending on like how many tasks a day are you doing? Are you working on one consistent thing? Or what, one thing you'll see is somebody moves out of being an individual contributor on a team into like more of a management or organization uh, operations role is you start dealing with uh, more and more different tasks that are very different from each other. And so your needs and the complexity of your keeping track of how to stay organized become more and more. And so and that's why I think a lot of people who are you know, help run businesses tend towards a tool like OmniFocus that has a lot of flexibility that you can configure. But you want to start simple. And that's what I think it did. Uh, still is relatively true in the, the article is describing, you know, 
basically some of the most useful tools in that toolbox in terms of organizing and things you can experiment with. Because I wrote it in a time where I had a system where I was quite quite happy with it. And then I was like, oh, yeah, thanks for the invitation. I could write an OmniFocus blog post. And I, as I'm writing it, I'm researching the tools. I realized like, oh, actually, I really should be using this. And oh, actually, this is maybe not a good way. And like, oh, this one folder is just a mess. And then I ended up like destroying my entire system and like pulling it all apart and started experimenting. And then it ended up being like an ode to experiment. <laughs> do you ever find that happening where you're like dating a lot of different systems or styles of doing something and then you just never really quite settle on one and it's just this constant state of flux where you're like uh what do i do i mean it's something you have to do from time to time and like i think people maybe rightfully learn that you don't want to be constantly working on the meta of like it's very easy to procrastinate by just tinkering with your tools instead of actually getting things done. Um, but every once in a while, for me, that's probably every two to four years, is like looking at what are the endemic problems in the system, um, either every few years or when you notice that something isn't working, like an infamous thing that I mentioned in the article and it keeps happening to me and it happens to most people, I think, who use tools for managing their to-dos from time to time is what I call a do-bomb which is basically like a whole bunch of things become due in a pretty short period where you may or may not be as focused on checking things off and maybe you're distracted or whatever. And then suddenly you go into your OmniFocus and there's like 27 things that are due today and they're red, all things that have been due, you know, and you're like, there's no way any human could have accomplished this many things in one day. And some of these are important, some of them aren't. And so like trying to avoid that. So anytime you see that and it's like, okay, you know, you can do a reset and be like, okay, what is actually important? And then how am I driving you know, this whole system to serve me instead of the other way around. That's a really great point too, about, you know, being aware of the form versus function and not just operating within your system, but also kind of thinking about how to best uh, approach it. Because when you just see all this stuff presented to you, you're like, okay, I, I got to do it all. Yeah. And the first time you look at it, you might be like motivated, like, okay, okay, no, I'll try and do some stuff. But like the thing that it starts to track towards that then really screws you up is that then you start dreading looking at it or a procrastinate looking at it, or you stop keeping it as organized because you're like, there's so much stuff in here. I'm just going to do the urgent stuff. And then you start being, someone's like, Hey, when's that report coming? And you're like, Oh yeah, right. I'll do that right now. Or you're in a meeting and someone's like, I thought you were going to do this thing. I'll do it right after the meeting. And like, once that's happening, once you're doing things based on someone having bugged you for the thing, then you're no longer being driven by your high minded goals of like, what is important to me or what I actually think I should be doing. You're instead being just interrupt urgent C driven, which, you know, happens sometimes in emergencies, but uh, that tends to like be this, the second order effect from, I have so many things that claim they're due uh, that I, how do I pick the next one? So. I've been guilty of that, where you just overcapture and overcapture and don't look at where it's actually headed to your, your inbox and your system. It's almost like, you know, <laughs> I ate too much at Thanksgiving, but if I don't look at the scale, then I won't, won't, you know, I won't know what the numbers are. Yeah. Well, and that's what happened. I mean, I, I has, it's been a long time for me now, but like I've gone through phases where I stopped regularly launching or, or looking at my to-do system. And, you know, sometimes that can be a relief to take a break from it if it has gotten bad or, or toxic in some way or another, if you've let it get gnarly um but it then it leads itself to that kind of mentality yeah <laughs> so do you mind me asking how do you kind of decide day to day uh, like are there specific tags or perspectives that you use yeah like i was saying i used to use this like um do and flagged one or like a variant of that as like a and i think a lot of people at least some point do a like what should i be working on today but i've gone to just using a tag and then what i have in my other custom perspectives that i have are for feeding that tag. So I try to have this today tag.
bag, which is just a small number. And I like constantly trying to train myself to like not overstuff things into claiming I'm going to do them today. It's like, really, what am I going to actually do today uh, or tomorrow? Uh, and then I'll use the today tag for that. And there's like a keyboard shortcut for toggling things. Um, and then I have custom perspectives that will feed when it's like, okay, I'm starting to get a little bit low on stuff that I that I have like for today or for tomorrow, uh, when there's like three things left or whatever, I'll go into one of the perspectives I have. I have one uh, that's called Office Next, but really I should rename Work Next because like the office is no longer a concept. <laughs> but the the Work Next uh, perspective is pr my projects, which are roughly sorted by priority, and then things that are flagged in those projects, and then. I think there's a, maybe a little bit more smarts to that. And then anything that's in any of the projects that I flagged with that, uh, this is a goal. Um, so even if it's not something I flagged, I've, it's kind of like effectively flagging the whole project. It's like, this is the important projects. And then here's all the other stuff that I flagged for one reason or another as like, um, ideally it's something that's not necessarily needs to happen this week, but like any of the stuff that's flagged, it's like, I've evaluated it as I think this is actually something worth prioritizing, quote unquote, soon. Uh, and then I pull things out of those. And then when I review, I try to like clean those up. But I use those perspectives to and then I have a home equivalent where it's like, uh, OK, what should I do today at home? I've checked off most of my stuff that I've flagged as today. And then I can switch into that. And then it's like past Alan thought that these might be some good things to consider. Uh, and then it's like a larger list that I wouldn't work out of because it has like 40 things in it. But it's like, you know, good nominees. That reminds me of David Allen does this bit where he talks about widgets to crank. You know, you kind of have a pre-selected list or buffet of items that you can do when you're in a certain context or feel a certain way. I love that you kind of precede that with these perspectives that lead into saying, okay, once you're done, the stuff that really needs to be done, here's this menu of items that you can choose from. Yeah. And that thing about widgets and like getting it set up so that you can just quote unquote dumbly do the tasks is something that I periodically relearn because no one wants to spend more time than is you know, you don't want to excessively be grooming your backlog all the time and like tweaking the exact wording of things. But I recently got a little bit too uh, laissez-faire about letting the naming of the issues be things like, uh, you know, fix the fan, <laughs> right? And that's like, fix is an, is a pretty vague verb, Alan. Like, what exactly do you mean by fix? And that, that sat there for quite a while until it's like, okay, Google fan parts, right? And then that happened. And it's like, well, why don't I just do that right now? And then I do it. And then now I'm on the path to actually getting it, right? Um, but making sure that it gets named in a, in a way that dumb me can do it instead of high-minded having coffee and reviewing my, <laughs> my task list, Alan. Let's say somebody has their system set up, you know, at least um, preliminarily. And what advice or tactics do you have for somebody who's just kind of getting things going? And you're like, hey, have you considered this? Because, you know, a lot of us do tend toward the urgency, the due dates, and then you, you open up OmniFocus and you're confronted with a sea of, of red. Yeah, the due bombs. Um, yeah, the, in, in terms of like the, yeah, there's a few things that I tend to suggest because I'm often like encouraging people. I don't massively, I don't mass say like every human being needs OmniFocus. I often actually encourage someone to sort of learn a bit about how they um, the relationship they have with their work and what kind of work they want to be doing um, and how to prioritize it by keep by working in a simpler system, whether it's even just like the, the default Apple reminders node or something or even paper so that you could get a little bit. You're not new to task management and then also using like the quote unquote pro task management tool at the same time. Um, but once you are getting into something like OmniFocus, then making sure that you use or trying to at least use due dates to really mean 
like they have meaningful due dates if there is a due date. And then if it doesn't have a meaningful due date, but you do really want to get it done soon, then try to come up with some uh, system of either flagging them or projects where or tags where they get done soon and you can decide to do them soon, but that you don't create this like, okay, that past me is constantly saying picking due dates for every single item and then yeah, we're always a little more optimistic at that stage. Um, so that's one good starter tip. Another thing, like even more broadly, is trying to keep it pretty simple. OmniFocus has lots of features that you can dig into as you go, but starting with just the basics of like, okay, I'm going to capture stuff in the inbox and then I'm going to uh, clean them up by putting them into projects without even needing like projects within projects or a lot of subfolders, but like, you know, five to 10 projects, you put the stuff in the projects and then you uh, have some system, whether you flag items or you mark, make a tag and call it today or whatever, where you decide what you're going to work on today. And then like try to get a system rolling with that, where you are um, getting things done and you're keeping track of stuff without necessarily immediately being like, I'm going to create a hundred custom perspectives. It's going to feed me exactly have this like Rube Goldberg conveyor belts of, of tasks coming in and out and hiding and showing and stuff. And, um, because there's a certain amount of maintenance for any given thing, and there's a vast universe of things that, uh, you can try. And then some of them are really, really worth it, but that's dependent on your workflow and your own kind of you're almost like designing a thing based on your psychology like to kind of exploit slash feed your own psychological strengths and weaknesses and that's something that you have to do iteratively and not just like sit down for for like design a hundred custom perspectives at first like it's you know keeps and there's a whole bunch of little flags and options and things you can do and you play with them but um try to keep it pretty simple at first would be my first okay so keep it simple um but you know make it in a way that that makes sense for you yeah, and the way you configure it is then like molding how you you're like hopefully molding your future behavior, but also like you know you hopefully have the introspection that you're like an expert in yourself, and so the things that make sense for different people like some I, I'm saying like don't use due dates, and then I'm pretty sure Mike Hurley is like an extreme OmniFocus user, and he, he like lives out of it, um, and at least at one point he was talking about. I mean, no, he uses not OmniFocus, but another tool like OmniFocus. But like he was talking all about how he plans out for the week of the due dates of every single thing he's going to do that week. And like everything has a date. And it's just like, that just wouldn't work for me, uh, or at least not today me. Um, but that's cool too, right? And so, you know, every single advice somebody has about other than probably the start simple um, is filtered through like, what are the things you're good at? in productivity and what are your weaknesses? And then letting the customizable tool means you can adapt it so that it kind of suits you know, what you're good at and what you're bad at. We mentioned, you know, just kind of knowing yourself and the way that your life works and being able to see certain patterns that show up uh, that you can recognize. Do, do you do any of the scripting or the omni automation stuff in order to uh, speed up that process for yourself? How does that work for you? I used to do a lot of scripting and automation. I mean, as a programmer by background, and so I, the way that our minds work is there's a problem, and I want to solve that problem, and the software doesn't solve it for me on its own. And it's like, I'm going to write some software that will solve this problem. And over the years, I've become a little bit more shy to it in terms of having a bad experience where I write something as a script, not specific to Omni apps, but just in general. They'll write a script, and then I'm humming along, and I, that script is part of my workflow, and then the script breaks because like an operating system changes or I rename my one time was like I renamed my or I got a new computer and then the computer had name had a space in it and then like one of my scripts couldn't deal with the space in the computer name and then I was like oh I really should fix that script but in the meantime I don't and then things start to like I problems accumulate or whatever and so I have developed a philosophy specifically around my workflow of trying to make it not fragile 
Um, and so <laughs> trying to make it so that it's hard for it to break and that the passage of time is unlikely to make it. So suddenly I end up in one of these do bombs or, or something like that. And so I'm a little more cautious about scripting and do, and that kind of stuff than I think most programmers are. But I think I would encourage people, like the reason why I still think like it's something worth investing in, and I always at least like keep on my radar of things to consider is that it really fits into the philosophy of, can you do a small amount of work now to have a big impact over the long term. Um, so I think it's like a fundamentally a force for good, but I just maybe been burned a couple of times by like dumb scripts that I wrote and then <laughs> broke my own future self. So I also don't have a lot of, I think scripting is particularly valuable for people who have a lot of versions of the same type of task. Like uh, let's say you are a, um, somebody who works on commercials and you do like 10 commercials a month or something like that. And for each one, here's the 15 things it needs done. Um, and then like templates and scripts and things that you're doing a lot of similar work. Um, whereas the type of work that I do is very, uh, like it's varied, um, from task to task to a point that's like to a fault where like, okay, I'm doing graphic design and then I'm coding and then I'm reviewing interview candidates and then I'm doing accounting. And then like every five minutes, I feel like I'm in a totally different place. So I, I rarely have tasks or projects that are like similar to one another. Um, so I, I feel like my scripting, uh, it's a little bit harder to find big wins. Um, when the tasks are really varied like that. That is so interesting to me because I've talked to so many people who are less versed in terms of scripting knowledge and how to like structure code and think programmatically and, and those sorts of things. And yet here we have somebody who's probably on the forefront of scripting because the company that you run saying, I, I don't think templating is necessarily the way to go for me. Yeah. And I think a lot of it just comes about the kind of work that I'm doing. I think if one day I ended up going back and like, you know, being a solo developer and and like working on you know lots of the same tasks across a day, I think my mind would go much more back to that. How do I add, automate these things? Also, I'm in this like very privileged position where I have employees who can uh, do things, and so it's like, oh, we need this report. Like, it's more likely that our operations manager or our producer is going to create uh, the report than that I create the same report every week or something like that, right? And so that's you know. I, I always have to try to be a little careful when I talk about advice about like how I do my work and like I try not to use my team as minions, um, but there is a bit of that uh, can happen too when like if there's a repetitive task, it's like less likely that the manager is doing that task than uh, the team team members for better or for worse. But it does make sense, you know, every single problem in that space. Uh, a lot of them are different and so should be treated with equal attention that that warrants that so that makes sense to me uh, I'm curious though are there any speed bumps or roadblocks that you've run into that you think might be instructional for people yeah as the the team grows one thing like we're hiring smart people uh, if we're doing our job right which I think we are right so we're hiring smart people and they're learning and then we're training people and people are getting not just smarter but like wiser as they learn more about software development and so over the years and especially in the last couple of years the rate and frequency that really good ideas come up has been going up and up where people have just great suggestions having a one-on-one -on -one and somebody's like like oh wouldn't uh, why don't we do this or this would be a good idea uh, we should rewrite we should have documentation for that or we should do this thing and that's more and more I'm like yeah that is we should do that and so I'm adding, adding things to my omnibus adding things to my inbox adding things to my inbox of like things that I should do and then like when I was 
like before I'd started to become wise to this, it would be such a good idea. I would like out of my own own focus and then tag it with today. I'm like, I'm going to do that today, right? Because that's such a good idea, right? But the more smart people you have, the more good ideas you have. And then pretty soon we're producing like more than one full day worth of good ideas of stuff to do per day of work, let alone the work that we're supposed to be doing that actually makes money as opposed to like all the meta ways to improve the business. Um, And so that's like a great problem to have. But like that's been the recent like thing I've struggled with um, across the team is like then an idea comes into me and the default is like um, hey person with the most like as a, as a manager I have the most context across the whole company uh, you know what about this idea and then for me then learning how to a uh, like sometimes in the moment set expectations reason like reasonable expectations like yeah that's a good idea um, maybe we'll have to think about it let's like re- come back to that because it's not really that high impact compared to some of the other ideas that we're working on or B put it in my inbox. But then when I'm reviewing stuff that have the discipline to not say, I'm going to work on this right now because like using some of those things about talking about like, is it important or is it just urgent or is it just like interesting or whatever? Um, and using different and like reviews and stuff like that and like having different approaches to come to terms with that my backlog of stuff that like I'm you know unless something changes which oh, I guess life will always change but for the time being my backlog of like good ideas of stuff that we should eventually do is going to continue to grow faster than the list of things that we're doing and like how to be okay with that and then still like use that as an asset so that we're doing the best things and and like one of the ideas that you'll read in like management and and leadership books is like trying to do the high high leverage tasks like the ones where if i put in uh two hours into this then like 20 or 200 hours of like good will come out of it by by a by either future me or other people on the team instead of the thing that's like a mechanical if i spend two hours then it'll be like two hours better, if that makes sense. You know, (laughs) I so appreciate the classiness with which you approach that because I, you know, even I haven't myself gotten to a place where somebody comes up to me and says, Hey, here's a great idea. And it is a great idea, but I know just kind of in the back of my mind, this is not going to happen. And for me to look at them just straight in the face and be like, that's an amazing idea. We're never going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Canadian. I can't just, I can't just say that point blank. I'm like, I mean, and often they're good ideas, right? (laughs) 100% they are. And I actually love the idea of capturing it into the inbox to kind of use it as something to to marinate on the idea itself and just email it back to yourself in the future. Use the defer date and just kind of say, okay, is this something I really am interested in in implementing? Yeah. And one thing that's really powerful with anytime you're trying to go through a set of things and figure out like, what are the things that matter? Like looking at them all together. And so sometimes it can be like, here's a good way. Like someone has an idea of how to increase revenue or make the app, uh, you know, whatever our goals are for the app, increase retention or whatever it is that we want. Um, and so in, in on itself as a inbox item, it might look like a great idea and it might sound like a great idea in the meeting, but then when you put it in the list of, uh, my 23 things that we were looking at at ways to increase retention. I was like, there's no way this is top 10 once you see it in the context of other stuff like it. Um, so that's another way you can use it to kind of like, you know, find a, and like, then you can go into like, wow, that seems really great. Uh, I'm not sure when it'll be in our top five, like biggest ways to solve that problem. But I totally agree with you that like, if we put in that time, we would get more than that time amount of 
you know, benefit out of it. So let's, let's put it on the list. Alan, something I, I really have grown to appreciate over the course of our conversation is this idea that you not only utilize OmniFocus, but there seems to be a really logical, uh, just helpful thinking approach that you, you use when coming in contact with the system. Uh, do you have any, and even outside of, of Omni, but just any overall or general suggestions for how to help people kind of think in that logical way that helps them produce, you know, leverage the best results. I mean, even in the course of this episode, that, that statement about, you know, two hours of investment being 200 hours worth of a result as a potential factor in decision-making for, for how you do stuff. Do you have anything that just kind of falls along that line, even a book or a talk or anything like that? Yeah. The, I've been trying in the last six months, uh, when you're talking about things that have changed, uh, to be reading more, uh, have more frequent, like, um, reading and, uh, like, a wider variety of books as opposed to just like over and over like my like go-tos of the things that I enjoy like reading more and more things about design and things like that um, and so I broadened out a little bit into books that I would have previously been pretty skeptical of like businessy books and things like that um, so for like the idea of this like high leverage task which I it might be so the the most famous you're talking about the oh, show about OmniFocus, the Getting Things Done book, obviously, is the most like sort of famous, stereotypical, okay, you're going to read only one book about how do you maybe get value out of OmniFocus, then the, the Getting Things Done book is going to be your default. And probably most people who care enough about OmniFocus to be like, I want to write, I want to read some books to like be more effective at getting my work done, like would have read that. Um, but uh, the one I read recently where that idea of high leverage came to me um, is called High output management um, and it was written by uh, some uh, guy who run Intel for many years um, and it ha it's it's probably about 20 years old so it has some like what I would now consider kind of old-fashioned ideas and I don't agree with everything in the book like synergy yeah optimizing synergy and 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 things like the way that he talks about people it doesn't really align with my philosophy in terms of just like how do you how do you, he literally says like how do you exploit people's strengths and your early employees strengths it's like you're literally just talking about exploiting your employees just like you said the quiet part out loud man like you could at least pretend that you don't see them as interchangeable cogs and like there obviously there's sections talking about how valuable talent is and blah 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 um, so not to universally say do everything in this book but there's some really good ideas if you're in a leadership position and you're trying to figure out like ah there's so much stuff I could be doing um, how do I do the stuff that makes the most impact on my team and my organization um, then that was one I read recently that had some good ideas that I kind of been sort of working and picking the, the good ones out of that very cool this has been an awesome interview Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I, I do want to ask one more question just to kind of throw out the net catch all. Do you have any final words of wisdom or like if I could get the whole world to know this about OmniFocus or the way to get, you know, people engaged in a proper way or something that I think would be the most helpful, what would that be for you? I think that the things like I have the deepest like emotional connection to in the in the scheme of, of uh, OmniFocus and getting work done uh would be the two ones that we talked about is like avoiding do bombs and urgent fake urgency um and the flip of that which is finding systems that let you spend time on what you've deemed important and that's not a novel thing like you know most things to talk about productivity and how you want to organize your life will at least touch on this idea of the you know important things uh, that are not urgent versus urgent things that are not important um, but i think that's something that is worth everybody like continually reminding ourselves about and also not just 
doing the yeah 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 I know about that but like things are urgent and I get Slack interruptions and like this, there's emails and I need to do the emails but thinking about what systems do you have about how you pick what you're going to work on and when you're going to work on things that are are and are those systems helping you spend time on the things that are important in that in a year will they matter basically um and uh and then continually trying to refine them so that you're still doing that because it's easy to say like hey i know i have these goals and then you know let it slide so alan i know that people are going to love this episode because it's just very practical and i i just appreciate the uh you know opening up kind of your system just so that we can see the inner workings of everything that's happening here do you have a way that people can you know keep in touch with you if they want to continue that conversation yeah for sure uh i write once a month on alanpike.com uh, my creatively named website alan a-l-l-e-n uh, pike um, and i tweet for better or for worse <laughs> you know some, some, sometimes i maybe regret that being like a common way that i share stuff in the world but uh, other times it brings delight so uh, if people are on twitter you can check me out at a pike perfect thanks alan thank you Thank all of you two for, for listening and being a part of this episode. We're so grateful to be able to share the story of how people get things done with Omni Software and products. I just am so grateful to, to get to share this time with you guys. Uh, if you find this episode helpful and uh, want to help us out, absolutely leave a review or rating in iTunes. If you want to keep up with us and what we're up to, check out the Omni Group at omnigroup.com slash blog or head to at the Omni Show on Twitter. <laughs>